This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. It's time for football. Salah. This kick can Salah. That's brilliant from Mo Salah. And still, Salah. Oh, sensational. Absolutely sensational. Just for kicks on BFM 89.9. Hello and welcome to Just for Kicks with myself, Cam Raslan. And today we have uh, an amazing roster of pundits, uh, one of whom, well, I'll tell you in a moment. We have Bob Holmes. I'm not too amazing, but I'm here. No, you're, you're, not, you're not in the amazing situation. Uh, <laughs> and Keshika Subarao. Hello, everyone. Who is also amazing, but she's not in the amazing uh uh, location either we know we have des Corkill who is coming to us live from japan where are you des i'm at a place called the saitama stadium everybody it's going to be the venue for Johor darrell taksim's match against urara reds in the afc champions league round of 16 urara are the home side we're expecting uh, about thirty-five thousand uh, very passionate fans here tonight that's why we're pre-recording we're giving away the secret if i may come um, yes. because that game is on around about the time that this radio show is on. But uh, I'm at the Saitama Stadium in Japan. It's magnificent. It's absolutely wonderful. And Johor are carrying the hopes of a nation with them. Well, later we're going to talk about uh, Japanese football and also JDT and Malaysian football in general. Uh, but that, yeah, as Des says, that's the reason why we're pre-recording today, because our man in Japan uh, has to, well, timings as such. So uh, this show we're going to be looking a lot at the premier league the lineup and when i first saw this roster of games i thought eh, nothing too amazing but actually i looked at it again all these matches have teams that have got something to prove and a lot of them are against sort of a like for like it's uh it's actually a really important match day match day three but we're going to start with the game that's on monday um and I promise you, we're not going to talk about Manchester United for too long. Uh, but it's going to be Manchester United versus Liverpool, which, uh, as Bob and I were saying, was once upon a time a big match. And the the thing with uh, Manchester United, they're being uh, connected to a lot of players who um, some good, some kind of like okay. For instance, uh, Asmir Begovic, the goalkeeper from uh, Everton, presumably also Neville Southall, I don't know. Bobby Charlton. Who, who knows who they're going to try to get? But it reminds me, uh, if I may, uh, every time I miss my wife's birthday and the only shop that open is open is the Petronas. And so it's like, uh, happy birthday, darling. Here's a bag of Mr. Potato. Um, I don't know, Keshika. Uh, we found out last week, not only are you a football coach, but you're also corporate comms for Manchester United. Uh, <laughs> what's with all these transfers? I think considering how bad the performance against Brentford was last week, they have to do something to at least keep the fans somewhat optimistic. Um, I think that's the reason for all this. But honestly, I think a lot of the time people are saying that we played badly, like Manchester United played badly, but they're taking away from how well Brentford actually played, especially their set-piece organization. Obviously not making excuses for the way United have performed, but I, I genuinely think that uh, Brentford did really, really well against us. So, yeah, yeah, no, no clearly, uh, Brentford were Brazil circa nineteen seventy. <laughs> uh, uh, Bob, okay, um, 
pressing the panic button, are they, at United? Well, it seems as if they're plucking names out of a hat. There's no coordinated strategy at all. I mean, teams now even, well, especially teams like Brentford, have a structure in place and they they have a list of players. If they want a left back, they'll have five or six names and they'll go to the manager and say, this is first choice. Uh, he's available for so much, you know, um, extol his virtues, maybe make one or two comments about his weaknesses. And he'll say, no, who, who have you got next? You know, and there's a, a pecking order of positions for players who are potential signings. Most clubs have this, but Manchester United don't seem to have it. Famously, Alex Ferguson kept no- names in his notebook and David Moyes revealed this when he, when he took over and he uh, at least got, got the whole thing computerized. But that doesn't seem to have advanced since then. And literally, one minute it's, a, it's an Everton reserve goalkeeper. The next minute it's somebody who's on the bench at PSG. Then they pluck somebody out of Serie A. Um, no co- coordination whatsoever. And we don't know whether these guys even want to come. Never mind, will they fit in? And in the uh, somebody did a, a, a look back on United signings of the last five or six years. And out of 20-odd, only two were sold for a profit. They took a loss, and a massive loss, on almost all of them. Mm-hmm. So I think that, that tells you. I think it's recruitment where they have really, really gone wrong. They've had the money. They spent a lot of money, but they just bought the wrong guys. Uh, okay. Well, Des, I mean, you can obviously add a little bit about United if you want, but but Liverpool, um, not off to the best of starts. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering if the sale of Mane has actually been underestimated. Uh, not not by me. It wasn't. Uh, I think uh, if you recall, I would I was um, waxing lyrical about Sadio Mane and the absence. Uh, but but the strange thing with Liverpool is how many injuries they've accumulated in a preseason and with the nine day break between match day one and match day two. The the Fulham game, okay, you can understand that them being a bit off. The Crystal Palace game, I think it's a point gained after being after being a goal down. Um, and going down to 10 men. And so that means Darwin Nunes, his three-match suspension adds to the injury worries for for Liverpool. But it's very, very strange how many injuries they have picked up in non-competitive matches. I mean, Thiago Alcantara, he's gone, but it's something like seven or eight players out injured. And uh, Jurgen Klopp is he's confident in his squad. He was last season. He is this season. But suddenly there's a mini crisis. Should Liverpool lose to United Old Trafford? Um, United go ahead of Liverpool in, in the in the league, so it's it's not terminal by any stretch of the imagination, but it, it's um, it's not the kind of start that you normally associate with Jurgen Klopp. And, and Liverpool did for so long um, seem to have got a good preseason. They seem to have sorted everything out just about right, but uh, it's gone wrong. Two results go against you. Your your main striker doesn't come out firing on all cylinders, or he comes out firing at the wrong thing. And it's uh, a minor crisis at Liverpool um, in terms of you don't want to get too far behind the the, the league leaders. Arsenal, 
and Manchester City and Chelsea and Tottenham who've proven they'll they'll be there. So I think this is a huge game for for Liverpool. Um, not only bragging rights, but in terms of getting their season back on track. And who's going to win? Very quickly, Liverpool. Keshika. Maybe a draw. <laughs> okay, and uh, Bob. Oh, Liverpool. Oh, all right, okay. But I don't think it's an all Liverpool, Bob, is it? I think it's a um, hmm, Liverpool by one because United can't be as bad, and they won't throw another one in. Uh, no, it won't be like last season. Um, I, but uh, I, the, I think, uh, barring a disaster, Liverpool will win comfortably. Okay, we've done it again. Far too much time on Manchester United. I am never going to do that again, I promise. So uh, Leeds <laughs> versus Chelsea. Chelsea-Spurs match was quite amazing. Keshika, I want to go straight to you. Uh, one of the big talking points was the managers and their bizarre kind of bust-up. Now, you, you, you're, you're a coach. You've been on the sideline. I mean, uh, presumably you've done this kind of thing, you know, handshakes, look at me in the eye, kind of macho stuff. Uh, does it mean anything? Do the players actually like that kind of thing? I think it takes a lot of the focus off of the actual match itself because you want your players uh, to be focused on what's happening on the field rather than what your manager's up to at the sideline. So I think the easiest thing is to not get involved in this type of thing. But at the same time, when you're in the heat of the moment, emotions get involved. It's not always something that you consciously choose to do. So I can see where that happened. But at the same time, you want your players to also be focused yeah, I don't think it was heat at the moment. I think it was all, they, they walked onto the pitch knowing exactly what they were doing. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, Des, uh, quickly, Chelsea were really spectacular though against Spurs, but they didn't win. And Spurs were not Spursy. They came back. Yeah, and going on, I couldn't disagree with Keshika more. I think uh, both uh, both managers have shown their players that hey, we are we are fighting now. Remember, we, 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 we say we've got the adjective Spursy. I think Spurs under Conte, they're going to fight and they're going to scrap and they're going to pull people's hair to get the result that they want. This isn't the pretty, pretty Spurs that we've been seeing for the last 20 years or so. This is one who will who will do the, the literal dirty work. And I think Conte has shown that on the line. He's not going to take any garbage from Tuchel. Tuchel's not going to take anything from uh, from Conte. So that um, spat on the line is, is what you really need to be at the top. You've got to have a little bit of devil and, um, and leadership in you. And I think both Tottenham and Chelsea have got that. Um, Chelsea will look back and think it's it's uh, a lost point, but in the end, at the end, the, both teams are going to be right up there. You know, it, it's a much better league this year. Yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was embarrassing, really embarrassing. Um, but very quickly, then uh, against Leeds, perhaps a banana skin. Does anybody think that uh, Chelsea might lose against Leeds? Hands up! No, everyone's shaking their heads. Bob. No, no. Uh, but Leeds have got a, a player I'm uh, looking forward to seeing. Uh, he's known as the Medford Messi. <laughs> now, Medford, no one's heard of Medford, uh, even even in New Jersey, where he comes from. It's a oh. small town. But he's supposed to be potentially the best American player that they've produced. He's 21. They paid about uh, 30 million euros for him from uh, Salzburg. And uh, they've got high hopes. So uh, he played okay in his uh, first game. Mm. Uh, we'll see what he's made of. Uh, okay. It'd be interesting. Brendan Aronson is the name to look for. All right. I, it's great. If you narrow it down close enough, then I guess I could be the Ampung Jaya Messi. Um, Keshika, <laughs> do, you, do you think that uh, uh, Chelsea will lose against Leeds? I don't think so. I think it's going to be 
a comfortable win for Chelsea. Well, okay. Uh, okay, but in a moment we continue and we go to the big one, which is we Nottingham Forest here on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. And we're back on Just for Kicks. And now we move on to, yes, I said it, it's the big one. It's Everton versus Nottingham Forest, the one that everyone's been waiting for for, for years. Uh, and, Bob, it's got to be said, Nottingham Forest are off to a great start this season. I mean, it's only two games so far, but I, they've got points on the board that maybe they weren't expecting to get. Um, and Everton, pretty woeful, I think. Uh, Nottingham Forest must be going into this one thinking that they can defeat Everton. Uh, yes, they'll be thinking that, but um, I think Everton have been a bit unlucky and Forrest were certainly lucky against uh, West Ham. They rode their luck, but I was encouraged because it was a uh, hundred times better performance than they put up against Newcastle, uh, where they were very timid. This was uh, a real gung-ho uh, effort, uh, obviously with a crowd, the home crowd, the first time in 23 years, uh, watching a Premier League game was a special occasion and they rose to it. And some of the, uh, the new guys were really, really good. And this whole business of whether they'll gel or not, some of them are already gelling. That's the encouraging thing. I mean, it's a far from finished article. And as, as we, they, they're signing players as we speak the latest uh, Morgan Gibbs-White from Wolves is the uh, biggest yet, uh, up to just over £40 million with add-ons for a guy who's hardly played in the Premier League but starred under Steve Cooper, the Forest manager, in the England uh, under-17s World Cup winning team. And he was always Cooper's number one target, which is why they paid so much for him. But uh, they are actually building quite a decent-looking team on paper. Now, when you when you look at it, you know your Lingards, your Morgan Gibbs, Whites, and uh, your uh, the well. Some of the game names are not that familiar, but uh, Nia Kate, the central defender uh, from the Bundesliga, looks looks the business. McKenna, a Scottish international central defender. And Henderson in goal. I mean, you know, these guys are not mugs. So I'm feeling a lot better than I was a week ago. Yeah. And they scored, I think, one of the goal of the season where the assist was a miss kick and then it bounced off a unwitting player and it went in. I mean, that, that's, that should be goal of the season. Hey, uh, Keshika, I turn to you because uh, as a football coach, you know these things better than any of us. If you get 16, I think it's 16 now, 16 new players. Now, everyone's been saying, oh, this is terrible. But actually, maybe it's the best thing. You have a whole bunch of players who are um, many, most of them new to the Premier League, new to the, the club. They've all got something to prove. This is a great shop front for them to show themselves. Maybe having, I mean, if you just get a whole bunch of new players, maybe that's a good thing. I think it really depends on the leadership of the coach that's taking that team. Because if you're able to bring those players together and you create the team culture that's going to bond everybody, then yeah, but it, it could also go wrong in so many ways. So I think that's what's going to be interesting to look at with not, Nottingham Forest. Um, if you can give everyone the same sense of direction and goal and appeal to their 
individual interests. So what are they individually motivated and then get another motivation, which is more team motivated, then if you can pull that off, I think it's a good thing to have so many new players. So it really depends on how the coach frame what he wants out of them. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Des, meanwhile, back in Merseyside again, the blue side this time. Gosh, they're bad. I mean, they're just, aren't they? They're just bad. Uh, Gosh, uh, sadly, yes. I think they've made some good defensive signings. I think Connor Cody is a a very, very good signing for them. Um, I think James Tarkowski is a very good signing. So defensively, they'll be relatively tight. But where are they going to score the goals from? which we, we said at, 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 the, at the start. It's one of these with Everton. If they go a goal down, you really can't see them getting anything out of a game at this stage. So they somehow need to address that. Rondon won't do that. Calvert-Lewin is, is an injury waiting to happen. Um, I think he's missing again this weekend. They, they need to get a couple of scruffy, dirty results, Everton. Otherwise, they could find themselves in trouble. As for Forrest, well, um, I think it's obscene the amount of money for Morgan Gibbs-White. Uh, I, I haven't spoken about the obscenity of the money in the Premier League much this season, but I will again. If you're playing that £40 million for a bang average player, it's it's the game has gone mad or the finances have gone mad. But I understand Forrest doing it. Cooper likes him. He was his number one. But um, very interesting. The finances are crazy. Everton need a goal scorer. I can see Forrest at least getting a draw and maybe even a victory here at, at Goodison Park. And Everton can't afford to go down with Bramley Moore uh, to be built. They just can't afford to go down. Mm, yeah. And so Lampard is still on course to be the first sacked manager. I mean, if they lose this, it's big trouble, isn't it? No, no. He's not under pressure yet. Not no. yet. Okay. Uh, Keshka, Forrest, uh, Everton, who do you think? I think Forrest potentially, simply because I still think, like previously we've spoken about this, I don't think that Everton have any specific style of play. The only thing that you could see is the way that Lampard has tried to make his different teams play, which is just keep possession and play down the wing. But I also don't think that he's able to get the best out of his players. He does not find a way of playing or a style that fits the players that we have. It's more imposing what he wants to see and then forcing them to fit into what he wants. And that usually doesn't work. And I think that's why players like Werner back in Chelsea kind of struggled as well. So I think with that much problem and making it hard for the puzzles to fit, that Forrest will have a better chance against them. Mm. Very quickly, Bob. Actually, I'm, I'm going for a draw. I'm going for a draw. I think the crowd at Everton uh, can be pretty intimidating. Forrest uh, showed some uh, timidity at Newcastle, but uh, with their own fans, they're a different team. So I see Forrest really relying on their home form to stay up this season rather than uh, picking up points. Although, I mean, you'd say this is one where they they should get a draw, but I'm not so confident. I think Everton, uh, they need the win and the crowd realise it. And I think, um, well, I think it'll be a draw. Mm. Okay, so uh, we move on then to Crystal Palace versus Aston Villa. Two teams, I feel like they're kind of swapping their positions around. Crystal Palace, I believe that Vieira is kind of building from what happened last season, which was very good. Aston Villa, on the other hand, perhaps staying put, not really sure what Steven Gerrard's plan is. Uh, Keshika, do you, 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 do you see, what's Gerrard doing? What's his plan? I'm not quite sure what 
his plans with Villa because, again, we've spoken about Lampard and Gerard not being able to get the best out of their teams. And the way that I see it from externally is that I don't think they're able to get the best out of the players that they have. Like with Rangers, they already had an established um, playing system. So he just kind of went in and carried on with it. But with Villa, I think now it's up to him and they're looking to him to implement a specific style. And I don't think that's something that he's able to do or it's more forcing them to fit into a system that doesn't work for them. Mm. And uh, Patrick Vieira and Crystal Palace, Des, I mean, I, I'm, they were my favourite team last season. I thought it was really just great fun. Uh, can they consolidate from what they achieved last season or improve upon it with some goals? Uh, yes, I thought they they, they defended um, pretty well against Liverpool. Very, uh, they, they they did a really good game against Liverpool. I can't let Kesh go by. You're not allowed to insult Saint Stephen Gerrard uh, in front of Liverpool fan. <laughs> He's doing fine. He built Rangers up. He, he made that team. And but as uh, a coach, Van Bosch, took it on. <laughs> he made it. Uh, they were his players, but uh, I, I can see what he's doing at Villa. I can see what he's trying to do. His results haven't uh, delivered what he should he should be, but he's got Danny Ings leading the line. He's got Watkins up front. He's playing Gwendia or Coutinho just behind. So I'm seeing what it, what he's doing. Um, so, so yeah, this could be a draw. These these are two good um, top half teams. I don't think they'll break into 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 the uh, top echelons, but they're two good top half teams. If if any of them finish the season below the top twelve, I'd, I'd be amazed. They're they're, they're solid teams. Uh, they know what they're trying to achieve. Both with good coaches. Vieira's made a, a really good start as, as coach uh, last season, and this and Gerard is is learning the ropes as well. He's just got to get results um, to to go on to the performances. All right. So uh, Bob, I want to take you to the south coast to Bournemouth versus. Arsenal. Bournemouth, um, a surprising win uh, over Villa. Was it surprising? I'm not really sure. But then utterly thrashed by City. Well, that can't be helped. Uh, but they, they, they're off to a surprisingly good start for me. Meanwhile, Arsenal, who, by the way, we must remember last season started off, I think, with three losses. And, and I was one of those Arteta out lunatics. I'm sorry now, folks, because Arsenal have really turned around and they're, they're, they're good now. They're in with a shout with the top three for, for this season, if they keep it up. Uh, is this a banana skin, potential banana skin for Arsenal, though? Because they do often just mess up when everything seems to be going their way. Uh, well, they used to. Um, I think this is a new Arsenal. Uh, they've started very positively. I'm sure they're out to get make it three wins on the trot, like uh, instead of three defeats like last season. And I think they're well capable of doing this. Bournemouth would have been uh, delighted to have got a win from uh, their first two games. Um, they deserved it against Villa. But as you say, were outclassed by Man City. But they didn't lose that heavily. I mean, we, we were probably fearing that uh, Haaland would get half a dozen himself, uh, the way we previewed it last week. But they managed to keep the score down to uh, almost respectable proportions. So there is some organisation there uh, from uh, Scott Parker, as you would expect. Um, but Arsenal, uh, they they are really looking good. I think uh, Jesus could be the signing of the season. Probably, well, so far he is. I mean, I know it's only two games, but... This was predicted even before the start. He was the signing of the preseason. 
He scored seven goals in four games, looked a different player. Well, looked like the player that City signed before he had his injury troubles and then started getting messed around and played on the wing and here, there and everywhere. But uh, he's looking the business now. And uh, this has made a tremendous difference to Arsenal to have somebody in that uh, centre-forward role, dare I use the phrase, uh, because Lacazette, Alba Mayang, all these, they flattered to deceive in the past. And also their antics, uh, they've never been totally committed, I think, to the cause. Whereas Jesus is a breath of fresh air, and I think he's made all the difference in the world. So well done, Arteta, for, for realising that the guy that Pep kind of neglected a bit uh, was well worth a punt and to get him for just over 40 million, probably not much more than Morgan Gibbs White, to be, to be honest. <laughs> um, I think you've got a hell of a player. Uh, you got yeah. a hyphenated name though. That's what you get. Gibbs yeah. You got to pay, yeah. you got to pay for that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, Keshika, um, if you can remember back, I can't, uh, but if you can remember back to this time last season, Arsenal, how they played then and what they're doing now, because uh, what they're doing now seems to be working quite well. Is it just that they just got better players? I think it's possibly when you want to implement something, it's a thing that takes time. And maybe when Arteta took over, it, it was something new. So you had to get through losing quite a lot, playing badly, because it takes time to get used to a certain way of playing, a, a different type of coach, a different type of coaching style. But I think you'd always get to a point where everything will just click. So it's a process. And I've seen this happen at all levels, including like youth football all the way up. So I genuinely think that now they're in the part where everything just comes in together and it's clicking. But I don't think it's an overnight thing. Mm. Yeah. So last season was just a preseason. Um, and so Des, what with uh, Liverpool falling away and their, their sort of like implosion, uh, <laughs> um, is Arsenal now... Um, I'm almost scared to say it now because you're looking at me like <laughs> that's something really terrible. Um, Arsenal, you know, top two. Uh, no, they're not far off it. I think uh, Saliba, uh, they they have developed. Uh, I was an Arteta, steep Arteta fan early on last year when all the muck was being thrown. Uh, but they've added Saliba and uh, Jesus up front and that makes them defensively more solid and more likely to score goals, which is always good in football. Um, and and they they have, as, as Kashka says, they've they've worked their way through, they've built up. I don't think they're top two. I think their squad, when we get later on into the season, might be a little bit lightweight for uh, the Tottenham's and the Chelsea's and the Liverpool's. Again, I think Liverpool are being drawn back into uh, the, the pack. So I think it's any uh, per many two from, or any three from four for the Champions League places with Manchester City uh, far and away ahead. They showed that against Bournemouth. Saying that, I thought Bournemouth were execrable in the first half. They didn't defend. They didn't go with the runners. They thought if they stopped Haaland, they'd stop Manchester City. That didn't work. And Bournemouth, to me, relegation team all the way. I can't see them picking up more than 25 points this season. Um, because they they didn't build on the on the team that was promoted, so um, yeah, Arsenal to win this one comfortably because they're a good team. Yeah, yeah, and if they don't, oh my god! Uh, but in a moment, we're going to be looking at that Manchester City that Bob uh, Des just mentioned here on Just for Kicks on BFM eighty nine point nine. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks BFM eighty nine point nine. Just for Kicks on BFM eighty nine point nine. And we're back on Just for Kicks with myself, Cam Russell, and Bob Holmes, Des Corkill, and Keshika Subarau. And now uh, it's uh, 
Newcastle United versus Manchester City, which in two seasons' time will be the clash of the Giants. Uh, but at the moment, Newcastle building themselves up could be really uh, a fascinating match because Eddie Howe has a terrible track record against uh, Pep Guardiola. And indeed, it has a terrible track record against any top six team. But if Newcastle want to prove themselves, now is the time. They've really got to start stepping up against um, Pep Guardiola's long ball football with uh, Haaland, who we can all say is a flop now. He didn't score anything in the last match. Uh, you know, I don't know. Send him to go and play with the youth team. That's what I say. Um, so, uh, uh, Bob, uh, am I being, am I expecting too much of Newcastle? Uh, I don't know what you're expecting. Um, I mean, this is a, a, it is a clash of giants, giant wallets or giant sovereign wealth funds, isn't it? This is a very big game in the Middle East, even though Newcastle are, are not yet, uh, not yet there. They're still a work in progress, but they'll be looking at this very closely and we've said before how sensible they've been, surprisingly so, in building up the club. When, uh, when the Sheikh uh, took over Man City, they made statement signings. They went out and bought Robinho on the, the very day they took over the club. It was just as the transfer window was closing. They wanted to make a big statement, we are here. And then they followed that up with a lot of signings uh, un under uh, various managers, Mark Hughes to begin with. Um, Newcastle have gone about this in a completely different way. And they're making steady progress. So uh, it'll be intriguing to see uh, how they go this season. I don't think that they can really challenge City yet. With the crowd behind them, of course, 55,000 Geordies and all that, they'll, I think they'll really go for it. But City are really in a different class. And they've got Haaland. And I don't know whether uh, Newcastle are really capable of, uh, of combating him properly. The, I mean, we've not really seen him uh, in full flow yet. I mean, he's had a couple of couple, games. A couple of times, yeah. Yeah, twice. yeah, but when he, you know, he's not um, he's not quite settled yet. He only had eight touches last week. Uh, one of them was an assist. One assist, yeah. Yeah, so he's feeling his way. But when, I think once he gets up to speed, or once the City get up to his speed, more like, um, you're going, you could well see him score three or four goals a game. But mm. I don't think he's quite there yet. Having said that, with Kevin De Bruyne, Bernardo Silva, who looks like he's staying now. Um, Foden, I mean, they've got Mares. I mean, they've got enough firepower. Uh, so I see a City win. But I see Newcastle giving it a good go. They won't want to let their fans down. And they're, they're still looking for more, more signings, um, actually. There's another 10 days or so to go in the transfer window. So expect more to come from Newcastle. Uh, Kashika, I wonder when you're watching Manchester City because it's one of the greatest teams I've ever seen. Actually, right now as well, do you do you look at them and think, "Oh, I know how to beat them"? I mean, do you think Newcastle? Do you think Eddie Howe? I mean, do you she think wouldn't be here has, if she knew that count. No, she wouldn't I, yeah. be here. <laughs> but I mean, it, seriously, is there any way to beat these people? 
I think it's very difficult. <laughs> I think a lot of teams lack the versatility that City have because you write them off that they can only play possession-based football, but then they go and do long ball. And then when you think that they're only going to be focused on long ball because of Haaland, they go back to their old ways. So I think to switch between different playing styles so so quickly and easily, that's not something a lot of teams can do. Some teams keep the same playing style for years on end and they just, they're very good at executing it. That's what makes it hard to stop them. But City don't seem to have that problem. So I think it's a quite tough thing for Eddie Howe to pull off. Yeah. Uh, Des, I want to jump you on though to the next match that I want to talk about. Uh, Fulham versus Brentford. Now, I know you're a big fan of the the big money swirling around the game of football. Uh, you said it many times. Uh-huh. But um, I'm going to guess, therefore, that uh, Brentford, the setup, the is um, is it's kind of an anachronism almost now. Uh, they they're very sensible. They have they are very ambitious. And uh, do you think that Brentford are that they're building a team that's here to stay and that can build up organically without big Arab money to to do something big? So I, I I don't think they are an anachronism. I think they're a very modern football club. It, it's only a, a precious few, six or seven, who get the, the billion-dollar donor. And what Brentford have done really, really sensibly is, and we mentioned it with uh, alluding to Manchester United, they have a list of players who they have checklisted right the way through. So if somebody leaves, if Ericsson leaves, they've got somebody who can step in, the Silva. He had a season injured, but now he's stepped back in. And he checks the list that they have. So they can go out and if, if, if they lose a left back, they've got five or six players who wouldn't be expensive, but who do the things that they want them to do. It's, it's the old, but it's the money ball style. Um, they, they, they see themselves as a club who are a selling club but will uh, will only replace somebody if they can um, if they can get somebody as e- equally as good. So I think there's a club thesis there, club philosophy, which is so different to Manchester United and the other billionaire clubs, um, uh, which, which really serves them well. Fulham, interestingly, tried to buy a new team, Alan Nottingham Forest, last time they came up and went straight back down. This time they haven't invested as much and, and they look a little bit more secure than they did last time. And so those these clubs, the, your Fulhams and your Brentfords, could be good enough to stay in the top flight for five, six, seven years, um, which uh, as Burnley did, which will stand them in good stead over, over a long-term future. So it, it, it is about building a good team ethic and it, it's not old school. It's sensible, but it's it's a very modern way to run a football club if you haven't got a billion dollar donor. Uh, Des is bad mouthing your Nottingham Forest again there, Bob, with uh, <laughs> buying lots and lots of players, which Fulham did do, and it didn't work out. But now um, I wrote them off instantly, but they've actually started pretty well. They could survive. They have Mitrovic, the world's greatest striker, who's already scored all his goals for this season. Um <laughs> uh, I don't know. Fulham, have they got a chance here in this match against Brentford? Uh, certainly got a chance. Yeah, this is uh, a London derby. Uh, we heard the um, the Brentford fans singing last week uh, to Manchester United, uh, you're going down with Fulham. Uh, the reason for that was because there's a bit of neighbourly uh, niggle there. Uh, it's the it's a virtually next door. Uh, suburb. Uh, Chelsea are actually in between, aren't they? Um, but very close. And both of these clubs were used to being in the lower leagues for, for many years. So they have met before. 
And this is, uh, this is quite something for them to be meeting in the top flight. So an intriguing match, this. You would say Brentford, based on their performance against United, they look great. Uh, but Fulham were pretty good against Liverpool, weren't they? So this, this could be a cracking game, actually. And I don't see much between the two. Could be decided by Mitrovic, uh, although he missed a penalty um, last week. He does miss them. He missed a vital one for Serbia. Yeah, so why do they Why do they give him penalties? He well, misses. He, <laughs> I think he's missed like 50% of his penalties. Or they can't get the ball off him. All oh, right, that's um, <laughs> But uh, he's not foolproof, but I think he is a force to be reckoned with. And he's got that, that point to prove, having been in the Premier League before and failed. Um, you know, he's a, he's a national hero in Serbia. He's not used to failure. So he's got something to prove here. And uh, he's, um, you know, he's, he's one to watch. I mean, he's, I don't think that Van Dijk has, has looked as poor against any striker as he did against Mitrovic. And he was even reduced to nibbling at him in the penalty area, although nib- Mitrovic was always going down, in my opinion. Uh, anyhow, uh, I, I think this could be a draw. Uh, hopefully a high-scoring draw. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, okay, that, that doesn't make sense to me. If if it's high-scoring against Fulham, I don't think it's going to be high-scoring back again. <laughs> uh, um, but I, my, my favourite chance from the, the, uh, the Brentford match was to Christian Eriksen when they were playing Manchester United, and they chanted to him, you should have stayed at a big club. Um, which uh, I think was very good. So, uh, Keshika, West Ham versus Brighton. Again, it's one of those kind of like-for-like meetups and an opportunity for both sides to get three points, perhaps, or would they be satisfied with one? I'm not sure. Brighton, at the beginning of their first match, showed that they could score goals and then kind of showed they couldn't score goals. West Ham, I'm not really sure how West Ham are put together. But uh, do you see these two as, as, as compatible teams? I think they're both teams that can pull off a good performance every now and then, but they cannot maintain any type of consistency. So any match that they go into, it is very much more reactive than anything that's planned properly. So uh, I think this fixture could be a draw, but if one of them were to turn up and actually switch on and put an effort that I, and I think Brighton might be the one to do that. So I don't particularly think that this is going to be a high scoring game or anything like that. Mm, but you would, you would favor Brighton on this one. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Des. Uh, well, again, with, with West Ham, I think you're being very harsh on them, uh, Kesh, uh, because they, they were very consistent last season. They fell away a little bit towards the end as they uh, had the European uh, run, run on. They're very much a top eight club now. Um, they're well financed. They're getting good crowds. Uh, David Moyes, is, is, he's limited in his approach, but he's added uh, Samaka to uh, take the weight off Mikel Antonio. They've won well in Europe already. Um, I think you're being a little bit harsh on them. As for Brighton, they'll play that pretty, pretty stuff. Everyone will have stood up and taken notice after the uh, the, the way they dismantled Manchester United at um, various times at Old Trafford. But they still don't score enough goals. Again, they're capable of, of a run, but they don't score enough goals to, to be top 10 for me. Whereas West Ham, I, I think, are, are cemented into that top eight. Uh, whether they can break into the top six, doubtful. 
but um, redoubtable West Ham United uh, with the um, the Irons fans behind them are a, a different kettle of, kettle of fish than they were three years ago. But with two losses so far, Des. But the, uh, the, the, there's a springboard of the European win. Um, and I think yeah, but that got... doesn't count in the... No, in the... no, but it's a springboard of confidence. Um, you, you, you see, the, the, the league is very strange. Up until all the squads are decided at the end of the transfer window, you do get the odd little strange result. That's been right the way through. And it's only after the transfer window that the coaches have um, full squads available, um, minus, minus injuries, of course. And that's when you really begin to see it settle down. Uh, and I, th- I think West Ham will, will, will be certainly top 10, possibly top eight. Ooh, okay. Well, they're going to have to get their stuff together. Uh, Bob, where, where, where do you land on the, uh, the West Ham, Brighton, uh, the, the David Moyes sensation train? I, I've always uh, had a soft spot for West Ham, actually. Um, I mean, they won the World Cup in 1966, didn't they? Um, <laughs> no, seriously. United and Manchester they, United might have they've, a word They've to say tried. They've been, over the years, they've, they've been up and down, but so they've uh, had their moments of playing entertaining football. They've had a bit about them. And they've actually spent quite a bit of money, not as much as Forrest, but over 100 million quid. Uh, they've got um, uh, Skamaka, as Des mentioned, uh, who scored last night, came on against Forrest, but he didn't get uh, much of a touch. But uh, he's a, a potential sort of 15, 16 goals a season man, I think, from uh, Serie A. A, a bit of a, a departure for David Moyes to go for someone that he, I don't think he's been uh, too closely associated with. He normally goes for guys he knows, tried and trusted. But this is quite a departure. Uh, West Ham spending $100 million in the transfer window. Uh, that's, that's a good positive sign. And I, th- I don't think they, I mean, they've got zero points, 19th at the moment, uh, I mean that's uh, ridiculous. It, it just shows that um, what the ta- how false the tables are at this time. Uh, you know, years ago they didn't even publish the tables until about the third or fourth. Quite game. right. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it was just so Good meaningless. Me. No, no, they didn't. No, because it doesn't mean anything. No. So you yeah. see, you see Manchester United and West Ham at the bottom two. Uh, no, it, it wouldn't even have been shown. It wouldn't have been discussed. Uh, until probably the last 10 years or so. Absolutely. Well, Bob, I just want to say, for the sake of Just for Kicks, times have changed. Now it's incredibly important, and that's why we're here. All right? Don't you forget it. Okay. Don't don't publish the tables. No, no. I mean, I just thought I'd mention that. Just, but... Fascinating. Yeah. Okay. So that's to emphasise the point of how temporary this situation is West Ham are going to steam up the table after this are they going to beat Brighton yes yes they are they are are. now Bob Holmes is rarely that emphatic so let's uh, let's put that down as a win for West Ham and we move on but in a moment we're going to sweep up the last two matches here on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9 more football when we come back Just for Kicks BFM 89.9 Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9 and we're back in part four of Just for Kicks. We're going to be talking the last two Premier League matches, but also then going to talk about some Japanese football and Malaysian football. And uh, let's start with, I've been saving them up. It's Spurs versus Wolves. Spurs, we, we have t- talked about them a bit before, actually. So we'll, we'll, we won't go on at too much length. But uh, Keshika, this Spurs, kind of exciting. And 
Conte has kind of seems to be giving them a bit of a spine. Do what what is it about this Spurs that's different from, you know, beginning of last season Spurs? I think this Spurs is definitely Conte pushing them. You can actually see desire to win, which I thought they lacked previously. Previously, they would play a game just to get by, and then that's about it. There's no excitement. There's no desire. But the way they're playing right now, it makes you excited to watch them because you can see that they actually want to. When I say want to win, it's not just one match, but they're actually trying to go for the title. So I think that's the big difference from the previous season. Yeah. Des, um, the, uh, I mean, you know, but I'm sorry, any any Wolverhampton Wanderers fans out there in, in Malaysia uh, <laughs> won't necessarily say too much about your team. But this Spurs, it's um, in the past, it's always been, you know, Harry Kane doesn't score at the beginning of the season. If Harry Kane's not scoring, they're not scoring. Well, I mean, Son will put in a few. But he doesn't seem to be as important to the team as he was before. This Spurs are the real deal. Kulishevsky was a great signing. Uh, Ricarlison can come in and score goals. They've uh, they've got the wing back. Sessegnon's coming in and, and, and he's getting in at the far post. Conte, remarkable what he's done. I, I was at Tottenham on the first game of the season um, for the 4-1 against Southampton. It was a 4-1 that could have been 10 comfortably. Uh, the stadium is sensational. So there's a real showcase for the players to, to appear on. Um, the, 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 the fans are, are, are positive and confident and passionate. The way they fought back to get the draw against Chelsea, um, however despicable it was, however despicable the hair pulling was, they got a draw at Chelsea, which is a fabulous result. They wouldn't have got that. They wouldn't score at Chelsea for the past five or six years. And now uh, Conte has got that little bit of, oomph in them. You hate him uh, if, or hate's a too strong a word. You really don't like him if you're uh, his opponent, but if he's, if he's your manager and he's getting this reaction out of his players and six really good signings uh, as well, um, who, who we've hardly seen. This Tottenham, uh, I don't think they'll push Manchester City for the title, but certainly um, they're my prediction for P2 at the end of the season. I think they're really, really strong and Conte is, 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 is a massive difference. As for Wolves and worrying about them, I think they peaked. Um, losing Connor Cody means they're going to go to a back four. I don't think that will suit them because they're a bit lightweight in midfield. Um, I, I think they might be bottom half, not quite relegation because they'll have the goals of Raul Jimenez, but I can't see them picking up too many points this season. But Tottenham, real deal. Yeah. So, uh, Bob, although the first <clears throat> four weeks are irrelevant and uh, <laughs> we could have just carried on our summer holidays for <laughs> four more <Yeah>. weeks. <laughs> um, Spurs, I mean, seriously, uh, Des just said second place. This is one of the most exciting teams I've seen. And do you hold out the, the same confidence? Uh, yes, I do. I think the the big thing Conte managed to do was to get uh, Daniel Levy to put his hand in his pocket at the beginning of the transfer window, uh, rather than leave it till the last minute, uh, as he used, used to do, and he missed out on a few players. Um, I think that uh, the owners agreed to uh, put in 150 million into a transfer kitty for Conte. Uh, that was because he threatened to leave. I think he made a, a sufficient impression on them that they they realised that this is the guy. He's a top six manager in the world. We haven't had anybody of his caliber before, and if we don't do it with him, you know, we're not going to do it. 
So they decided to cough up, give him the money he wanted. He's got uh, Paratici as the um, director of football, the Italian, fellow Italian. He knows everybody in Europe, this guy, very well connected. He's been signing the players. And Conte has been uh, flogging them to death, commando-style training pre-season. Mm. Mm. And now we're seeing the, the difference. Yes, I agree with Des. It's very much looking like a new Spurs, a different Spurs. So, again, it, uh, even if the title race is over, as some people uh, want to believe, I think we're in for a fascinating season. There are so many things to to look forward to about just about every club. Yeah. Well, I was hoping uh, to, to do commando star training in our preseason <laughs> with you lot. Uh, Producer Hanif overruled it, though. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I think it would have been really good. Um, so, uh, Keshika, I want to go at the last match now that we're talking about Leicester versus Southampton. And I'm sorry, each time Southampton is playing, I completely forget <laughs> that they exist. But... Uh, Leicester, Jamie Vardy must be about 52 years old now. And uh, they can't keep relying on... on he's a, been a magnificent uh, goal scorer. And Brendan Rodgers, I don't know, can a, can a manager stay at one place for too long? Uh, and I don't know, Leicester... I, I kinda, I'm kind of scared for Leicester this season. Do you think that they could uh, get it together again? I think that it... They're just trying to do the same thing that they've always done and relying on that to win. But the problem with that is once teams in, in the league figure out what you're about, it's quite difficult to then try to execute the same thing over and over, expecting to get by. And I think right now they're just trying to get by. But what's surprising to me is that I don't think that Brendan Rodgers is the type of manager that's going to be okay just getting by. He's not really David Moyes. So... I don't see him staying that long if this is how it's going to keep going. But I'm not quite sure what's happening over yeah. there. So, Bob Holmes, uh, where, so uh, Brendan Rodgers is going to leave. I think this is what Keshika is telling us. And uh, where is he going to go? Is he going to go Aston Villa, Everton, or, I don't know, Besiktas or something? Where, where is he going to go? Uh, intriguing, isn't it? Uh, I, I don't know whether he could walk into a top job um, I mean, he's he's done pretty well, but it's tailing off now. But I think uh, his hands are tied. They haven't got any money. They they used to be pretty generous owners. They built up the club. Uh, they signed some decent players, quite expensive players. But uh, for some reason, either the people are not buying uh, at the airport anymore in Bangkok or something but the um oh yeah covid the, of course covid has been uh, hard well for them uh, tourists tourists are back now yeah um but uh they they haven't bought a single player they the only club in europe that's not bought a single player and they say they've got to sell first well uh they've got a couple that are that seem as if they could be leaving uh, Madison, he's wanted, James Madison, he's wanted by Newcastle, but he's really, really vital to them. If they lose him, they lose the, well, one of their star players, if not the best player, uh, scores goals as well as being a, a, a creator. But you know who was linked with Manchester United this week? Jamie Vardy. Huh? Yes. Oh. 
I saw it in one of the, yeah, I mean, how serious. He's too young. He's too young. (laughs) uh, You know, they've been linked with worse, haven't they? (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, if, if, yeah, why not? You know? Yeah. So, I mean, it's just an example. I mean, yeah, Vardy's Vardy's a good player, but it's just an example of the of, of the scattergun policy of Manchester United's recruitment. Okay, we we've done Manchester United. <laughs> Getting back to Leicester, yeah. <laughs> they, they're in trouble. If they um, if this uh, uh, is true that they can't sign players, then uh, they're in a bit of a mess. I don't think they're going to go down, but the uh, momentum will be lost. They've been a club that's been doing things every season. Uh, even after they won the title. They did well in Europe. Um, They did okay in Europe last season. So uh, it it could just peter out, which would be sad for Leicester fans and sad for Rodgers. But I think he'll hang on a bit until another vacancy comes up that he fancies. Yeah, Manchester United. Uh, so, uh, Des Corkill, though, we, we leave the English Premier League and we go to sunnier climbs over in uh, Japan. Des, where are you and what's happening there? So, it's AFC Champions League, round of 16. Uh, all the matches are being played in Saitama. And uh, I, I, I'm privileged enough to be on commentary on Johor uh, versus Urara Reds at Urara's stadium in Saitama uh, around about now when this program is going out yeah, on air. So we can't predict that. Um, I'd imagine Orara are very hot on favourites for that. And Johor have done brilliantly to get this far. But they beat Ulsum uh, to, to make it here. So don't count against them. But it would be a, a, an incredible performance if Johor were to go through. Um, but last night, I witnessed a fabulous match between two Japanese teams at this same same stadium. Uh, Yokohama F. Marinos are the uh, runaway league leaders in Japan, and they were taking on in the AFC Champions League, Vissel Kobe, Andreas Iniesta, and all, even though he didn't play yesterday. And um, it was a pulsating, fast, uh, wonderful game of football, which Vissel Kobe won by three goals to two. And I catch a little bit of Japanese football um, on, on, on the telly and uh, I, I like it. It's very pretty. But the energy levels and the fandom and the noise last night, even when Yokohama were losing, their fans were really literally bouncing up and down, encouraging their team to get back. It was a thrilling game of football. And if that's anything uh, that Japanese football is, is, is all about, I, uh, give me more of it. Uh, it. It was a pleasure to be here. So this AFC Champions League is going on. Um, Vissel Kobe are through. Uh, late, the, there's two more quarterfinals going on today. Johor, as I said. But also BG Patam United from Thailand with two Singaporeans playing. Irfan and Iksan Fandi, Fandi Ahmad's boys. They're in action against Kitchi from, from Hong Kong. And then the quarterfinals in the Eastern region. So two matches in the Eastern region are being played here on Monday as well. But um, there's a great sports culture up here in Japan. It's great to be part of it. The fandom's excellent. And uh, the football last night was was brilliant. And uh, I hope tonight Johor can uh, at least stay on the same level as Aurora Reds. Anything you've seen there in Japan football that uh, Malaysia could learn from? Yes, absolutely loads. Absolutely loads. Uh, the competitiveness of all the teams. There's a real depth 
to the um to the pyramid here you've got professional leagues down to league four tons of semi-professional leagues as as you drive around tokyo uh even though there's not much space just about every space that you you do see there's either a game of baseball being played with kids or a game of football uh being played with kids it, it really is a a sporting culture and there are leagues right the way through at senior level all of the the top flight clubs they've all got to have under eight under nine under 10 under 11 under 12 under 13 teams so that when the top players leave for Europe and there's 10 or 12 Japanese players playing in Europe, they can be replaced at the top level. Um, and, and, and so the league is solid. They've got teams competing in the best of Asia. They've got players playing abroad, but it's the depth of the, um, of the, the pyramid that I find so incredible and so fascinating. It's a real sporting culture. Malaysia used to one time be, be similar. Um, they're not similar anymore. And I put it down to the depth. It's, it's, it's been wonderful to, to see it firsthand. And uh, uh, Japanese women's football is pretty strong too, I think, Keshika. Am I right in saying that? They're Asian sort of powerhouses. Yeah, I think that they, there's a lot of funding and infrastructure that's been invested in Japanese uh, women's football. And I think that the rest of the Asian countries could look to them to set an example. Yeah. We have to remember they are the world's third largest economy. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but, but yeah, that, has, but... that has nothing to do with attitude and, 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 and club commitment and, uh, and, and taking it seriously and putting good facility in place. It's, it's, um, it, it, it's educational for, for me to come here. Yeah. Keshika nodding her head there. So uh, that brings us to the end of this week's show. And um, I want to thank our pundits, Bob Holmes. Good luck to your team, Nottingham Forest. Uh, thanks very much. We had plenty of luck uh, last weekend. You certainly so did. Have a bit more this. <laughs> yeah. I hope all their goals are exactly like that. It'll be the best season ever. Um, and Keshika, Manchester United. Um, well, yeah, I don't know. Best of luck, whatever. <laughs> but thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. And uh, Des, enjoy yourself out there. And next week, you'll tell us about the match that is happening right now as we speak. I certainly will. And I'm working. I'm not enjoying myself. You must understand I'm working. But you're in a magnificent stadium <laughs> behind you. And I'm, I'm having a whale of a time. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's a real privilege. All right. Well, thank you very much, guys. And uh, I'll speak to producer Hanif about sending us, or me, in fact, just to Japan, because um, it's important. Uh, with uh, Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. The magic, the might, the majesty of Manchester City, champions 2022. For more football, tune in Mondays and Fridays at 8pm. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, Download the BFM app.